0: What's up, everybody? Just want to let you know that this episode of the podcast is sponsored by Jungle Television. Jungle Television is creating gourmet art and streetwear drawn and screen printed by hand here in Portland, Oregon, and uh, this dude, Alex, is making some of my favorite art, and uh, I have a bunch of Jungle Television t-shirts. They are heavy in my rotation and just always blown away by the things that he is making the mushroom hunter jackets are some of my favorites those are really dope but yeah if you need jackets shirts hats just prints very cool prints um, hit this dude up the jungle television link will be in the episode notes along with the instagram tag and if you use the code dcp at checkout you'll get 20% off of your next order so take advantage of that check out the uh the jungle television instagram cruise alex's designs um they're very very dope and next level appreciate his support and sponsorship of this thing let's start the episode
1: looking down at the the Uh
0: what is happening everybody welcome back to another episode of the dan cable presents podcast thank you for tuning in to the program once again if this is your first time listening thanks for checking out the show you can find fresh episodes Coming at you every Friday. And if you want to help support this podcast in a free way, you can do so by clicking subscribe on iTunes, clicking write a review, giving the podcast five stars if you feel like it is deserving of so. And that will help propel the podcast into the tops of the iTunes charts, giving more visibility on the national and international levels, and just helping spread the word on this thing, helping strangers find the podcast super appreciative of the folks that have already taken the time to do so to subscribe, rate, and review. It really helps. I can't stress the importance of it enough and I'm also super stoked that the podcast is now available on Spotify so you can follow the podcast there and I'm also releasing a new playlist every month. I put the first one out on December 1st and the next one will roll out on January 1st. Just trying to Share a bunch of tunes that I am uh, listening to regularly in my rotation throughout the month and uh, trying to keep it pretty mixed up genre-wise there. So uh, check out both of those things on Spotify now and I will put all the links in the episode notes so you can follow myself, that playlist, and uh, my guest for this week's episode. Episode 235, Couldn't Be More Stoked. To have this dude back on the podcast, Tobias, from the Portland, Oregon-based band, Soft Kill, is back on the podcast, and we had another killer chat, super appreciative of uh, this dude's time, and him sitting down with me to chat about the band's new record, Dead Kids, R.I.P. City, which is such an incredible record, and definitely easily one of my favorite records of the year and it's super exciting to uh, see all the love that it's getting. So uh, yeah, man, we dove heavy into this one. We talked a lot about the record and individual tracks and played a lot of the music on the record. So um, I'm really excited to share this conversation. Tobias's first appearance on this podcast happened a little over a year ago, I think it's like episode 181. So, if uh, if you have not heard that episode, I would I would definitely recommend checking that one out as well. That's uh, one of my all time favorite episodes, and uh, a conversation that has stuck with me heavy, as has uh, this new one that you're about to hear. And uh, we had this conversation earlier in the week. I got to go buy the new soft kill store, the new headquarters of the band, rest in peace city, which is, uh, this really cool shop that is actually opening. If you're listening our release day, there's a soft opening for the store tomorrow, December 19th. So I'll put the, the Instagram link in the episode notes as well. If you want to. Find the address. I know Tobias shouts it out during the episode as well. We we talked about the store and uh, what will be going on there, um, but it was super rad to to get to sit in the space just a, a few days before it's being open to the public and and see what's uh, going on in there. I got some of that that soft kill hot sauce. If there's any of uh, that still available, I would recommend you getting some, it's pretty, it's pretty lights out. And it's a, it's a cool collaboration with another local Portland company. So as I said, I'm super stoked to get into this one. I appreciate the fuck out of this dude's candidness with all of the stuff that we talk about in this episode, the, the addiction, the survivor's guilt, the, um, you know, losing people that you love and, this dead kids RIP city, as we will talk about in this episode is, uh, a really beautiful tribute to the people that, uh, that are deep in the throes and, and buried in addiction and maybe have been lost to addiction. And, uh, That shit hits heavy and I hope you can find the strength if you're struggling out there to reach out. I will definitely put some links in the episode notes for, uh, for resources that are helpful with that as well. And, uh, rest in peace to my dude, Braden Hamilton, who we lost a couple years ago to, uh, a heroin overdose you are uh greatly missed and uh i love the fuck out of you and i think about you often and you uh you have taught me quite a bit while you were here and uh since you have passed so thank you for that and yeah just again big thanks to tobias for sitting down with me once again giving me uh giving me a couple hours of his time. This was so much fucking fun. I, I just really love chatting with this dude and, and to the soft kill faithful that are uh, joining for this episode. We talked a lot about this new record, so I hope you appreciate that. I know last time Tobias was on, we didn't dive too deep into the, the soft kill catalog at all. We just talked a lot about process and and life. So, um Yeah. I hope you guys dig this and like i said if you didn't catch the first one and you enjoy this conversation definitely go back and and check that one out as well and shout out to the rest of the band nicole danny conrad um i know owen is no longer in the band but he contributed uh to this this most recent record a bit and uh Dave Tromfeo, who produced this thing. Y'all did such an incredible job with this record. It's uh it's very next level and it it hits heavy. So we're jumping into it, man. All the links will be in the episode notes. Thanks so much for checking out the show. Um I know we're deep into the the holiday season now. I hope everybody's hanging tough and uh keeping their heads above water and finding some uh some joy in your day. We're going to get into this thing. Episode 235 coming at you. Soft Kill is back on the podcast. And we're going to kick it off with a track off that Dead Kids R.I.P. City record. It's called Pretty Face. Let's do the damn thing. Can't we hear anything? <laughs> These are both clearly in here. Oh my um, god. All right, man. You ready to you're ready start. to jump into this thing? Uh it's been yeah, like we were saying, it's been like a year or so since we caught up on the mics. I remember you talking to me about songs um like Pretty Face, even when we did the last podcast, like talking about lyrics and stuff. So it's uh it's cool to be talking now that the the record is is finally out. It's in existence. Feel like it feels like it's uh It's been a minute. It's been a. It's been a journey.
2: I know, and it's been like a dramatic, insane year for the world.
0: Yeah, but the uh, the record is killer, for sure. Glad you think that. And uh, it appears that many people, many people, think that. Yeah, people.
2: The response has been substantial (laughs) it's been been like so redeeming for uh i think like the meltdowns that we were having leading up to it because like every check that we were writing as money was going out there was it was like you know matched with this anxiety about the uncertainty of it going well you know, I'm just like, oh, okay, we're just gonna flush a bunch of fucking money down the toilet and do this our way. And knowing Nicole's and my tendency to pridefully talk shit about decisions like this, like, we're gonna fucking do this this way, and everybody's gonna fucking see that when it fails, <laughs>
1: we're gonna <laughs> look especially stupid, you know? <laughs>
0: But on the flip side, the payoff's got to be huge now to like see that you did say, fuck it. We're not going to do it with a label. We're going to do everything on our own. We're not going to cut corners. We're going to spend big money on the production of our record, not only on like sonically and making the actual record sound good, but then to like throw down this dope artwork and killer physical copies and things like that.
2: Yeah. Uh, the first label that we initially talked to about doing this record, um, that guy was such a like, it's just like stereotype of a label owner that's like a single dude with a dog. Um, but he, for what I guess he like lacks in general vision, like, he had the money and we set this theoretical budget for what this release was going to be that when it didn't work out with that person and we had this, like the interim period between that and having to record, which was less than a month, that was like, what the fuck are we gonna do? Um, we had to come out of pocket to do things the way that we were planning with somebody else paying for it. And we were like, fuck it, like, let's just do it. You know, let's spend an... three times as much as we've ever spent recording. Um, And then when it was like time to shop that to labels, to to newer labels um, that we hadn't spoken to before, it was kind of interesting because we were realizing that like the the labels we were talking to were, were names and they were all, you could tell like, I could tell that we were gonna hit certain walls in terms of budget in terms of the ideas that we had. Nobody thought the board game edition was a good idea. Um,
0: Turns out they were wrong.
2: Right. (laughs) I mean, they were wrong about it all, but it was one of those like, hey, in in terms of recouping, 100 board games at $100 a piece, do the math. There's a big chunk. Because you're trying to sell the idea to a label, especially during during, uh, COVID.
0: Yeah, is that where you were at when you were... Pitching pitching this record,
2: right? So we were we came. I guess we did a show January thirty first in L A. We played. I guess we opened uh, one of the last uh, "She Wants Revenge" shows. They called us and wanted us to come down and play. And it was a sold out show at the Roxy. It was a it was like a triumphant show for us. And then COVID is within weeks of that.
0: Yeah, I saw you with in between those two things. I saw you right after the Roxy thing. Yes. We went to that Mississippi studio show. Yes. And then all of this unfolded. And I remember you talking about kind of where the the state of things and it was kind of, everything was kind of in limbo. So we're,
2: yeah, we're shopping a record to labels that are not talking about how great the, this, the, they think the record is. They're just like, it's a weird time. Uh, what, what's your like timeline right now? And I'm like, well, there's no fucking timeline for anybody right now. Uh, we can wait initially we were like we'll wait till whenever because you know as a band you're like convinced that validation comes in the form of interest from labels so you're just like yeah i'm willing to totally compromise my sanity and my financial well-being for you to do this whenever you want to (laughs) sir for you to tell me when i can post on my instagram exactly and then then it flipped and we were like yo we should do this in September, October, November. Our merch sales are doing so well, so steadily. I think there's an audience, and I don't think that there's gonna be, and it's weird to call it competition, but that there's gonna be like a lot of static in the airways, like we're gonna be able to hit a direct audience if we time this properly. They weren't hearing that, you know? Like most of them were just like, oh yeah, seems scary. Um, and i think what happened for us is like we made the decision not to go with the last label that we had narrowed it down to and we were like yo why are we signing a contract in the way that it works if you if you've never if you've never signed a music contract like a record contract Um, The most basic example of it, if we're not talking about a perpetuity deal, which is a forever deal, is that for a period of five to ten years, depending, they're going to pay for the recording, they're going to pay for uh, the manufacturing, they're going to pay to master it, they're going to distribute it, they're going to pay for a publicist, they're going to pay for whatever other forms of advertisement that they deem necessary you're not going to have a dialogue in terms of what this budget is um and when you hear that you're like cool yeah they're they're just at their discretion taking care of everything taking it what you're not accepting at that moment is the amount of debt that you're creating that you have to pay back prior to seeing a dollar from the record which is where you know prior to this recording we were talking about bands only make money going on tour because they're in debt to their labels right um, I guess it was like, we were like, yo, why sign one of those contracts? Um, especially when, if the record starts to do badly, they don't have to keep it in print. It'll stay in digital. That's why you're always like, man, why did this record by so-and-so? They did two pressings, and it's been out of print for five years. The record's not making them the label enough money for them to deem pumping money in to not only press it, but store it. Yeah, and try, to, and try to keep pushing it. So you're at, you're, your album is at the mercy of so-and-so, and then it's like you're going on tour to support a record and no one can buy. You know, you're going back out there. We're like, why would we sign a contract if this label and the language they're kind of throwing at us uh, seems to insinuate some sort of like disbelief that they can do everything that they could ca- normally be capable of doing If COVID wasn't happening, you know, so we're like, we're having the same sacrifice, but they're operating at half power. And that was freaky. And that was like where it clicked in my head where I was like, we got to self-release. And everyone looked at me was like, what are you fucking talking about? And then one by one, all of us just were like, no, I I really think this is it. Like, let's self-release because like we'll see all the money return and we only have to sell like 500 copies to start to to see you know what i mean and, and this and this and that and that you know not right. i'm not i won't break down the math completely but like we mentally were just like you have to perform less to see profit self-released because uh, we don't that debt is our own debt right and debt is subjective
0: and you know what it you know what that debt is though you're not 100 they're not just like the the blindly accumulating shit for you and
2: it's subjective too because like for me like with this being our art And us living off of it, it's like, I don't look at every single dollar that goes out and go, we need to recoup that before we're in a good place. I spend, it's like, sometimes I feel like we're like, customizing my my car, you know what I mean? (laughs) Got the sick spoiler on it now. I'm not just always like, I've got to bring that back in. A lot of it's just like the money that goes out to strengthen the brand, so to speak. Debt feels like uh, a luxury as much as money coming, returning from it. You know what I'm saying? In certain instances, like, because I love what we do so much that, like, some of the money that goes out, just like, that's a win for me, too. Yeah. Um, It's kind of (laughs) confusing what I'm saying. Um, But, like I said, when I say debt is subjective, I just mean, like, a label sees every dollar that's owed as needing to be recouped. And if, you're, if that's not the case for you, if you're a band and you're pumping into this because this is your passion, it's a little bit different, right? So, yeah. And then we just got, we got hyped on the idea of self-releasing and that's when the, like, the night terrors started happening. <laughs> yeah. Legitimately. Yeah. <laughs> Sleepless nights.
1: But
0: I don't know. I'd imagine that's just like all stuff not having the label, just just even more attachment that you're putting yourself into this thing? Because it's ours. And it's
2: another thing that was really weird to me, and I've said this a bit.
0: And I hope people are
2: listening that are in bands, like when I talk about this shit. Because I know that there's probably like... Some, you know, a hater or something might attach a false narrative where they think, oh, they couldn't get a label to do their record, so they're doing it this way and pretending they're championing the idea of of the DIY thing. It's not the case. You know, like people wanted to put this record out. Uh, For us, what it really was was like read one music biography and get to the part where the guy's like pawning the guitar that he wrote his best album on to buy dope, because drugs are the only escape that he has from the poverty that's created from being a part of the music industry. Um, Why are we, why did we create this independent realm that mirrors the major label trappings? Like, why are we just like, it's like, imagine signing the same deals and making the same sacrifices within uh, a network that can return far less because they don't have the money and the power of major right. labels. Like, we're fucking,
0: we're really the fools. Because um, I guess there is kind of like that, maybe that stigma that like an indie label is going to be, you know, not, not doing the same bullshit as some major. They're doing it all the same shit.
2: A hundred percent. And killing bands in the process. And you're starting to see certain labels where you're like, oh, wow,
0: they're kind of putting out smaller bands. Well, they're investing less in those bands too. Uh, Those advances get to be a lot smaller for a band like that because they don't have anything.
2: At all. And and you're seeing some of these, these certain labels diversify. And I think certain people go, oh, yeah, they're paying attention to what's happening. And it's like, no, they're trying to meet a quota of records that are released without spending the same budget that they would spend on the shins. You know, yeah. Um, which makes perfect sense, but it's like some of these independent labels are paying out big cash. I'm not saying they aren't, but like these major labels and these and these advances that they're putting out, like they're giving like specific bands back in the day. You know, like eight hundred thousand dollars, and then that guy blows through his money, and then he's broke and he cries about it. Like on our world. They're giving us, like, $8,000. Like, most of the bands that are releasing records are getting $5,000 advances, which include paying for the record to be recorded. And if you've ever clocked studio time, it's
1: not fucking that's, cheap. Yeah, that's
0: not very much. I it's, mean, like, even, like, a $20,000 advance would be, like, pretty nothing. big now.
2: Right, that's huge, and it's nothing. But it's you no, can't do yeah, anything it with it. Like, what does that pay for? Um. In, in these bands and like the, the trappings of, of what destroys bands are the $20,000 advance. Say we're like looking at the high side. 20 racks. 10 goes to recording the record. They've got 10 grand. They feel rich as fuck. They've got money. They've validated themselves to some degree where they can go to their parents and say, check it out. Like We got an advance. They're going to put our record out. They're not telling their parents that they're splitting... The remaining three grand after they buy the van or that they've all looked at each other and said blood pecked no one's taking a dollar from this this is getting our start then they go out the record doesn't fucking do well they're jumping onto a tour where they're first of three they're getting 250 dollars a night they're sleeping on people's fucking floors they're slipping into uh alcohol abuse and other things that you know is another big thing in the music industry that i don't care if you drink and do drugs i'm just saying i'm not shaming anybody
0: no but it's it's fucking a common place for abuse of those things because it's it's acceptable it's It's okay it's okay for you to like to drink and do drugs while you're in the studio or like at the show or whatever and it
2: feels necessary to survive in such like harsh conditions again not whining Harsh conditions for me and my standard is, like, a lot lower than, than most people. Like, I will go be a complete sewer rat. I will fucking see a ninja turtle walk by me on my way to my <laughs> daily, you know, my daily nine to five. Um, for a lot of people, this is, like, it's, it's grimy to sleep on people's fucking floors with no sleeping bag. And so people are getting fucked up. They're starting to hit each other. They're spending way too much time with each other without any reward. They're going home. They're going back to shit jobs. The record doesn't do well. The label kind of shells it to some degree. Doesn't put as much effort into it. Kicks them the next advance for the fucking option record at like, give you five grand this time. You know, I knew a band here in town that I won't name that went from like, they got $7,000 for the first record to go record, which is big for the genre of music they were. The last advance they got for the last record, which was just to end the contract was 1250. That's a tw- that's $1,250 recording budget. You know, that's like enough money to set up the drums. Yeah. So, <laughs> you see these things and then it kills them and then the band breaks up you know and then like the the one guy that was writing some of the songs goes and does like the singer songwriter thing because he goes it's probably more simplistic to just worry about my own ego maybe he's got some ins now so he can get some producer credits he buys a hat at a truck stop he starts to wear it more in pictures people start unfollowing the account you know what I mean like (laughs) it's just like this is it and this is like this is the end and uh, and these labels don't give a fuck So that's mind blowing to me. Like, it just was like, that's what bands
0: are dealing with, you know? And it's like, no one knows what the fuck's going on right now. Like the labels have never experienced this, this sort of shutdown where there's no, there's no music going on. No. And I feel for
2: those labels, but I, the thing is, is like what I don't understand with the label, like certain labels are passionate. And some of these labels do things for the right reasons. Like, You know, we put out Choke and Savior with no contract through a dude that loves what he does. Shout out Chris Bruni. Um, It was, I have no complaints. Um, But I make music personally for the same reason that like somebody paints a picture. I don't believe somebody's just sitting there with a canvas going, gotta meet my quota, and this is how much money I gotta make off this. Like, I'm still, and a part of this is reinforced through the comfort zone created by us being financially stable because we do take ownership. But we're still making art, like, for the right reasons. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're not just trying to be like, got to get another record out. Can't go back on tour unless we have a record. Because um, then there's the trappings of the album cycles. and Yeah. Dude, straight up, these publicists and these labels that you talk to, they're fucking they do not get it. Like they really don't. Like they talk to you and they're enthusiastic, but so much of it feels phoned in. And at the end of the day, it just feels like it's like a recorded message that they're presenting to you. And uh, they're playing their positions in this punk rock underground DIY world that's ethical towards musicians, end quote. Yeah. Um, that really is just a miniature version. Like we were saying of the evil thing that we pretend that we're counter we're going against. Right.
0: Right. But yeah, dude, like what a great time to, to make the shift, to go completely on your own to my point of uh, like, no one knows what's going on. Like, I don't know what, what help a major label is going to be for you. At this point where we're under this sort of, like, lockdown situation still.
2: God, I mean, for for a band like us, I mean, we accepted a long time ago that I was, like, too psychotic and had done too much fucking insane shit in my life. That that was, like, they were going to take one look at me and be like, hmm, liability. (laughs) We'll pass. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, no, but, like, fucking... For, for me, because, like, the, the truth of that statement is more that, like, my, like the art that I have to make is coming from a place of, like, a, a tortured ex- human experience.
0: It's real. It's not, it's
2: like... It's real. Some but s- I have to be pure. I have to, like, say the real and, like, come out with how it is. And I feel like the lyrics that, that Nicole and I wrote for Dead Kids are, like, are, like, as pure as possible. Like this is the purest translation of the experience of what we talk, You know, we talked about last time, and like what everybody's like knows about me, or what rumors and stories and in the, in the spec- spectacle that gets attached to it. But it's like I like us doing it this way. Like the, my idols and the ones that influenced me to make art didn't make compromises either, and they like. A lot of them like died at very miserable lows, which I ne- I don't champion. That I uh, admire. The, I can admire the lack of compromise in the in the raw human experience, and still have empathy for what it what it ends as. Um, but because that's like my those are my teachers. I have to... I We have to do our stuff the way that we do it because, like, we can't censor ourselves, right. you know? Um, so a major label can't do shit. And it couldn't do shit, like, even if we were just, like, some watered-down... Um, just one of these, like, current beachy dream pop bands that are, uh, you know, whatever. Like, they... Brooklyn hipster, like meat grinder pops out right the mold of the next thing it's just like I just don't think that these they have these same resources and it's so weird it's like when I was really buried in drugs you knew that until you were like when in the to make it a Portland reference you knew not to go to 6th and Flanders or 6th and Everett stay off 6th if they don't Know who the fuck you are. Don't hand nobody, especially if you're a fucking fresh fish ass white boy, your twenty fucking dollars, and expect to get crack. Cause you're not gonna get it. And if this is, and sometimes the music industry feels that way. It's like um, we're still handing the twenty dollars downtown, and expecting a different result. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's just like no, like this. It, it's just you know you. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's interesting cuz now it also seems like the Spotify is the gatekeeper, the gatekeeper the playlist. The, the record the record label is the not The record
2: labels have the playlist connections. Yes. But imagine that. Like imagine we it goes back now. Like let's look at the more modernized take on the record deal. So now you have to make the majority of your money back through streaming. So that budget that you have to pay down, <laughs>
0: which is nothing, which is
2: pennies. And in, 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 in a billboard reference, 1500 full streams of the album equals one record sale. I, there's not a lot of records I've heard 1500 times. <laughs> I would like to know if there's one. You know? <laughs> and I love music. Yeah. Like maybe Mob Deep's Murder Music I might have listened to like 900 times. It's just, it's, I mean, it's so set up. It's to be, to just be like, and what sucks about this, we go, this is just how the music industry is now. But, okay, then let's, let's do something different. Like, let's approach it differently. And you're starting to see bands like Swans, who they just did an incredible documentary about, it's, it's painfully long. And it's a lot of down. You know what I mean? And you're watching it. And you're going, fuck, how are they still out there? But what is the culmination of the story? Oh, self-release. And he starts to have an intimate, direct experience with whatever people identify with, like, swans as being the core of their, you know, musical experience. Like, that's definitive for them. They're that fucked in the head. They want to listen to
1: swans all the time, which I
2: love, but it's still, it's like, it's brutal fucking music that he can sell 2000 copies of the record and do a limited version where he signs 200 of them. And, and it's, you just set your standard lower and it's not that the standard is lower. You set your expectations to be more realistic is the better way to put it. For sure. And you have that limited experience with a core fan base. that's always going to be there and you make it unique and enjoyable enough to where you can still grow as an artist and people you get new fans but you can count on the people that care about you because they feel like you care about them.
0: Yeah, and that return is much bigger cuz you haven't you're not splitting it with a label at all. You're doing your thing. They don't get a dollar. I, I got to imagine though man, the the soft kill community of fans seems uh like an incredibly loyal group of people and i would imagine that that was a big uh a big reason to to believe that you could do this on your own too with the the amount of stuff that that moves for you guys
2: yeah we well i was showing you i was showing you you know without saying it i was showing you the like our like our direct big cartel store numbers compared from last year to right, this right, year right, right. And so going off of last year's numbers, we were like, I think we can do this. Like, this seems like it'll be people are consistently uh, responding to like, like we don't phone our merchant. I think some people look at certain designs and they're just like, like we're so passionate and excited about everything that we do. And I hope that that translates to at least like 70% of our audience.
0: Um, I think it does even the way you deliver shit on social media it feels that way like it feels like like, you're fucking stoked about every single shirt release and every design
2: right we believe in it you're never going to see a fucking beer collab you're never going to see like specific things that like to us like are not reflective of who we are we believe in everything that we're fucking doing even the hot sauce and like the hot (laughs) sauce thing like what that was was i bought that at a farmer's market and i tagged the dude in a story and he goes, oh, I saw you at Pickathon. Oh, nice. You're band sick. And I was like, cool. And then at that moment, we said we should ask that guy to do a collab, and we didn't. And then ultimately, he asked us. And it seemed like the best way to do that was to just let him take all of the money, to, and, and we'll do a raffle so that we can support another brand that's local, that's one person, get even just a, a step further that week. Because – People doing that for us, like Welcome Skateboards, who we just did a collab with, Uh, that was massive for them. They believed in the record and they loved it. Um, The size difference between our brand and their brand is pretty extraordinary, you know what I mean? But they showed us love to do something that they genuinely cared about, and it pushed us ahead. You know what I mean? Like those things that th- those relationships I think are super necessary and never to be uh, taken for granted.
0: Yeah. And you can be stoked about where you're attaching your brand to. Right. When pushing it and actually be like, Yeah, we do have this this hot sauce and this hot sauce is fucking legit. It's not some We love some, the hot sauce. It's and not we know, some weird beer deal that you made.
2: And it was made in North Portland, you know, in our neighborhood, down the street. Um, Dude, that made it is from you know. Shout out Nukes, Nukes, Hot Sauce. He's from he's from Maine. You know, I was born in Maine. I got the accent, kid. <laughs> you know, and I was just like, oh, you're from Maine, kid. <laughs> you know, fucking, we stayed here at ABD. And uh, you guys had lobster rolls and put put that. You know, sauce we never did. And- I never used to, I never ate that fucking <laughs> seafood shit. It was a strange
0: thing. As like we, as we just had sushi, we had sushi, but you
2: know what's so weird to us? I don't consider like sushi seafood. Yeah, I guess it's a little. Isn't I that mean,
0: strange? I think I think it's maybe weird that there's that uh, differentiation. Right. But.
2: I don't like cooked fish. Is the best way to put it. I don't eat a shellfish. I'm not eating anything with claws. Then the accent really comes out. You know what I mean? The fucking claws, dude. The claws, kid. Um, and uh. Yeah, like, it was, you know, those types of things. Like, we believe in what we're doing. And, yeah, that was the thing. It's like, I'm not going to pretend that, like, the day that we went live on it, that we were not absolutely shitting our pants. But we paid... A thing about it is we looked around at artists. Uh, Adam Klopp, who does Choir Boy, who directed the trailer for the board game record.
0: And featured on Matty Rue. And
2: featured on Matty Rue. Um... I'm not making a statement about his financial situation, but we were like, we want to give him money to do something, to be a part of it, because we want to support artists that we love. Uh, Rue, who did the board game art, and who did all the text, basically everything but the album cover, You know, we paid him a considerable amount of money for all of the pieces and for a lot of the shirt designs. We wanted to include him um, and there's, there's a deeper reason to that, which we'll get to, if we talk about pretty face, like that's how that intersects. Um, we tried to support, we went for broke trying to support artists that we believed in to involve in this. And when we went live on the record, like I wasn't going to be able to pay my rent that month. You know, like we were, we depleted the entirety all in all in. Like we went all in on it because we knew that, uh, Pressing it locally, supporting Market Cascade. Um, no compromise, but also like prioritizing our direct relationship with specific people and having that be an integral part of it. Um, to be local, because we've, you know, whether we were from here or not, I moved here. Chicago is my home, New England's my home. But I'm going to live here for the rest of my life. Nicole's from here. Conrad ended up here from Ohio. Um,
0: and on and on and on.
2: You know what I mean? Yeah, this people, people
0: kind of know you as a Portland we're, band. We're a Portland band, yeah.
2: for sure. This band, the first time we ever played, the first record we ever recorded was in Portland at Jackpot. Our, everybody, There's never been a moment where Soft Kill didn't have somebody that currently lived in Portland. We're a Portland band. We've always been a Portland band. Um, But yeah, we went all in and it was it was just like the belief in the fan base that was that's been so substantial and supportive was by the end of it. The only thing that we had still some doubts, but like hoping, you know what I mean? Like that, that that definitive hope and people showed the fuck up. It was fucking crazy.
0: Yeah, (laughs) like I I told you, man, those fucking there was there was no records to buy when I went on the on the site that day and it was it was an hour maybe if gone like is that. yeah gone in seconds most of the variants were gone in seconds
2: and then like the other ones we were like we had planned this this rollout of all the pressings over like a two-week period and by the end of the following day they were all gone yeah and we were like fuck and then the pressing plant fucked up and pressed 200 randomly orange recently and we were like, they were like, oh, fuck. They were supposed to be yellow, right? Like, we, the yellow, and we were like, all right, we'll, we'll put, we need them. We're going to need
0: those too.
2: <laughs> um, and those are gone. Yeah. So um, people went crazy. You're not getting it from a, from a warehouse. You're not getting it from, like, the loyal staff at, like, a, an indie label that you support. We've been packing all of those out of our house or out of our, our practice space, which is now just for writing music as we now talk here in our store.
0: Yeah man, sitting on the floor. Sit on the floor.
2: We don't got no chair. We don't sell chairs. <laughs> but you know, we've got a stock room in the back and we're we're this is the next chapter for us. Like you our fan base, you who's listening has like elevated us to the point where we need more to meet the demand and that's
0: fucking awesome. Yeah. Was a part of opening the store also I mean, obviously this is, being a Portland band, it makes sense for the store to be here, but was it also kind of recognizing that you were shipping a lot of stuff out like for, that was going to local Portland metro area? To some degree. Um,
2: we needed a bigger space. I love the space that we have for writing music. It's, it's a great spot. We're, we're like, we just, it's not a traditional practice spot that like, I don't know who any of the, the two or three other bands that are there. It's mostly offices for like weed businesses and shit, but it was getting cluttered with us doing mail order out of there too. Like there was a compromise comfort wise and we were like, we need a bigger spot. And we were driving down the street and we would see this building and it's, it's like a, you know, it's, it sticks out. Like it's a little white standalone building with black trim. And it was for rent. And we were like, get the number, call them. Now we say that about every building that we see that's school. <laughs> you we should call them see what yeah. that, see what's up with that. And then uh, it got rented. And it was for a committee uh, to legalize the, the ballot measure for legalization of psilocybin. And we were like, well, that, like I was telling you, like, that's not going to last. Like, it'll either get legalized or it won't. But either way, those motherfuckers are getting the fuck out of there. <laughs> and when it went up for Ren again, we went, fuck, dude, Bluff called. We gotta call him. Called it, and it quickly was just like, this was like two weeks ago. We are like, we're gonna do a store. And part of it was, yeah, we think that there's, we have a big Portland audience and following. Like, it'd be cool if like those people, instead of packing those records, they could just come pick them up here. Even if they order them online, you can come do local pickup. Yeah, f- yeah for but sure. But what about yeah. like featuring yeah. just like, other stuff? Like we, we really are enjoying the creation of of merchandise like what about carrying other stuff
0: well and I think it, that all makes sense a lot too because like what better place for me to like want to go buy a record or a t-shirt than from like a band or just a business that I respect the curation like that's what you're doing
2: right it's not we're not like it's, this isn't a record store and it's not just the soft kill store but it's like if you come in and buy something from here, it's been in the hand of just us or us and one other person. So you're getting it direct. And everything that you're seeing in it, like, came from us. Like, we poured ourselves into it. And we were like, how can we make that fun for people? And there was a million, like, okay, limited releases that you can't get anywhere else. do do do, do. And it's not to fuck people that are internet only, like, that are not local and can't come have the experience. But, like, to some degree, like, Portland, when we play here, like, we we do well in a lot of cities. Portland has consistently held us the fuck down. The last two years of shows here, I've been blown away. I was just like, every headliner, especially to our Halloween show, we were just like, fuck, okay, like, this is it. Um, And, I, you know, this uh, part of it was like, we only really ever just wanted to be able to, like, sell out a Mississippi or a Doug Fur or some shit, you know? Um we sold out Doug Fur and the show got cancelled cause of COVID and that was like the fact that we sold out Doug Fur a month before the show, we were just like, Fuck dude, this is like this is this is I shows you how minimal our dream really was, you know. That's a great venue, but it's like a three fifty. Right. But mentally we were just like, dude, we fucking sold out a Doug Fur and I think maybe that means we could probably sell out the Star Theater. Um Our goals are, like, so localized and
0: realistic, you know? Um, But there's still a lot of value in those goals, too. 100%. I'm not downplaying those places. Yeah.
2: But it also made me realize, like, when you start to break down if the experience is enjoyable for your fan base and you can sell out venues that size all over the country and then double what you're making in merch and stuff, dude, like, you have a great, great career in music ahead of you. You know, because again, I think realistically, like, I think people look, think that it's like you either make a million dollars doing this or you don't make any.
0: Yeah, people do not understand, like, the lower middle class existence Dude, of that we, the musicians. Right, like, that. we just stepped out the projects,
2: you know, metaphorically speaking, um, and... You know, it's to to me, it's like my needs are like that we all have money and that we have cool gear that inspires the next thing and that my kid is taken care of, you know? You don't have to sell out Roseland. Do I want to play Roseland so bad? Hell yeah, (laughs) you know, and maybe we will someday, but it's like at the same time, you really can within 350 to 500 cap venues nationally, with the right budget, in term, or the right overhead, rather, in the right approach to merchandise and the experience, dude, you fucking make a million dollars a year. You really can. Um, and people don't look at it like that. Like, they're just like, they're not playing crystal, so they must, no one, they're underrated and no one cares.
0: Right. They don't understand the money that can be made in other places too. Like when you talk about publishing and getting to, you know, getting oh God, jam yeah, publishing a jam in, in a show or a movie and realizing how, how far that can
2: take you. There's so many of these other things that like, if you don't um, strive to, to, to create those resources too, like, to have that be part of your, your resume, so to speak, you're just ignoring money. Publishing is a fucking massive thing that's like what gets bands rich the majority of the time. Um, I always the joke, the funniest thing, and this is like, I think Fat Possum put this record out. But what pushed that label considerably that I always heard, and maybe if if you listen to this and I'm wrong, I'm wrong. (laughs) But like a band went in and did like some fucking this, like, I want to say like a phoned in blues album because I don't know the difference. But it was like some, some blues record and didn't do well. And then like a TV show called, HBO called and said, yo, we want to use one of the songs from that record as the theme song for a TV show. And it happened to be the fucking Sopranos. And it launched those dudes, that one song and that label into being able to do a bunch of other shit. That's the reality of it. Like there in one experience is what publishing can do for people. Um, but also too, when we talk about these record deals... I want to do this for the rest of my life, personally. The bands that I adore, that influenced me, Sad Lovers and Giants, Chameleons, you know, Snake Core, um, you know, there's there's so many of them. (laughs) They're coming over and doing tours now. They're still going, they're having their second or third or whatever wave at this point. Some of those bands, I'm watching them, and I'm looking at the merch table, and you can, you can tell so much by what is available on the table, by what kind of decisions they made, artistically and, and, and label-wise, what contracts they signed. Because if they don't have their discography on the table, it's because they don't fucking own it. So they're not meeting the same potential, and I'm not calling out any of those specific bands in, you know directly. I'm just saying, like, think about it like in our wave where like some kid comes along 10 years from now hopefully and goes yo you guys are the shit and like you know this fuck my town and poland is fucking loves y'all we want to bring you over for a festival you know we got like five thousand euros to do that and we'll fly you and you're like shit okay and then you fly over there if we can throw our discography on the table and all the all the merchandise that we have and uh that leads to some sort of uh publishing or this or this or that, or that blah, 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 blah. you know, I'm not speak like I'm speaking like theoretically without any of the stuff that we currently have going on. Um, you can make the most out of it. And I think that bands aren't thinking about the long term, like they're thinking about, I'm gonna get it right this fucking second. And if we don't get this right for this fucking second, it's fucking over. And it, you know what it is, it's just like everybody's like in it for the wrong reasons, but they're also not paying attention to any of the stereotypes of what all the bands that we loved went through forever. I can't go back to that a hundred times.
0: Yeah. And it's just wanting, wanting the thing to happen and not wanting the thing to happen the, and just like not
2: in. doing it because it's what you have to do. So we do soft kill exists because this is what we have to do. So like, if you don't want us to exist, you're fucked. <laughs> Cause like, we're going to, ha- we have to do this whether anyone cares or doesn't, I have to do this. You know, I have this is all that I have retained the decisions that I've made in my life. This is the only thing that I've consistently gone back to, and, and, and this is the, one of the only healthy things that exists in my life. Yeah, and when you go to prison and, or, or you uh, have felonies since you were like a kid, um, we don't have the same opportunities out there. I don't. This is this is my world, you know what I mean? Like, this is I create art not just because this is like. You know, at one point, it was like, everyone was like, you're an idiot for trying to do this. Like, this is just, go get a real job, even if it's at a call center. But at this point, it's like, with all of the, the with reality stacked up the way that it is, it's just like, count the blessing. This is incredible that I can, that we can make money off of this. So, like, we've got to do this. And it's just, we're just starting You know, like we're just, even as a band for 10 years, like we weren't active for those first five. It wasn't really a band. So like, we're like four or five years of steadily trying this. We did Choke in 2015, 2016. That was really the first record of us being an active band that wanted to go on tour. So in that period, in the last five years, where we've gone through and what we've gotten to, it all feels like half of a fucking second but we've been busting our ass the entire time and seen consistent, steady results. And like, you know, even with somebody like me that's got terrible business sense and like a shitty track record with my life decisions, we're just seeing like, yo, it's, it's, it works. The more we yeah. put into it, the, the better it does. For sure. Why wouldn't we do this? You know, and why wouldn't we make sure and ensure that if opportunities come along over the years that we are prepared to take full advantage of what those could be.
0: Yeah. And the creative like you're saying, like it's not like your creative ideas are just gonna unplug one day. You're not gonna wake up. Absolutely. And those ideas are gonna be gone. Like you gotta you gotta do this shit. And now you're getting to seems like you're getting to kinda of spread spread like that creative direction even in other people's projects. Like talking about the poison idea shit. Like
2: Right, that know, was another thing, like poison like Portland has has some of the most like storied but also like incredibly um just thorough fucking bands. Wipers, Dead Moon, Poison Idea, like the easiest three to name. Um all that it really was was like we came we ended up doing a collaboration through TKO Records, which is Mark the Done's Cascade and he had the idea of Jerry from Poison Idea singing on on the B-side, which for us was like dream come true. Like, especially for Nicole where she's like, grew up in Oregon. This is like the fucking, to me the best hardcore punk band that's ever existed, but I know that if she said that out loud, which she would, it means even more to her. You know what I'm saying? Um, And I'm, you know, being from New England like, a lot of people would be pretty mad that I would say that because they they'd like, Jerry's kids, bro. <laughs> like, SSD, really? And it's like, no. It's, it's without a doubt Poison Idea. And it was just one of those things where I was like, dude, I can't buy any of the Poison Idea shirts that I want. I think you could be making more money doing this. I'd love to, like, just do some of the stuff that's worked for Soft Kill to see if this could work for you so that you could get more of the money that you deserve. Because I think that he, like, you know was an idea like a a lot of bands got fucked by labels and got fucked in in deals and stuff like that and it's been going great like people want that merch we're printing on good quality shirts we're trying to, to do all of the fucking crazy designs that they ever did that you don't have access to now plus new stuff um and we have a really ethical deal worked out where like we the majority of the profit goes his way so it's like those types of things like those aren't even to make a lot of money, that's for me to stay creative without having just this, like, the fucking hang-ups of only doing your own art. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's healthy for me, much like going to the gym, where I'm just, like, I'm working out and I'm doing something that's, that's repetitious and, and strengthens my body, but isn't, like, what my direct passion you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like,
0: and it's still going to contribute to your personal growth, even though it's 100%. not soft kill stuff that you're working on there. And we're, and we're working this out with another
2: band right now that we love um, that I think is going to go really, really well. I won't name it, but, like, we'll be announcing it soon. Um, and it's just more passion shit. Like, it's not dude, like you're obviously
0: not going to volunteer to do this for some band or artist that you don't like.
2: No, it's just so cool. And, I, you know, my thing, like, we started the Poison Idea store, and I was like, I just want one of every shirt. That was my standard for success. I was like, if I can get one of each shirt from my closet, we're good. (laughs) And Nicole's like, that's insane. (laughs) I'm like, no, no, no. That's my goal, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Um, But, yeah, no. That's another thing. And also, it would just be crazy for me to fucking, like, be saying all the shit that I'm saying and then, like, try to, like, do some deal with some band and, like, be be one upping you know like kind of getting one by them to do it like no i don't care if we ever make money doing that it's like more about just like how we grow from it as creators um and that's what i want this store to be like our stuff but other stuff that inspires us yeah that's it
0: and i would like also people have got to be paying attention to the shit that you're into at this point with the the following that your band has you know if you're if you're posting some poison idea record that people don't know about a lot of people are going to check that shit out
2: and that's and that's another thing too like for us like we're not just influenced by like i made a joke today like we listen to other bands besides the cure i don't think we sound like the cure but i'm saying that like people have such a a one-dimensional perception of what they think we're about you know and i'm like you walk in and I'm like, you got to hear this Japanese Obi strip <laughs> yeah. edition of a reggae record. I've never heard that I found in Germany. You that's, know what I mean? Yeah. That's
0: what we pregame too. I'm
2: not saying I'm like, I'm not being like, I'm so weird. I'm just like, that's the stuff that interests me because I've been in punk rock since I was 12 years old and going to shows for so much. And it's so much of the, it's, there's so many repetitious stereotypes of what things sound like and look like and feel like that like I feel like I embrace the ideology of, of doing this ourselves and being um, completely devoted for the right reasons but like what inspires me and interests me is like a, a wide array of things and like when we were doing this record Dead Kids and we're thinking about because this is about Portland We were like, what are the records that make us think of Portland? Like, what is our inspiration? And we listened to Feel the Darkness constantly. You know, like that's, to me, like that was a Portland record. Um, Like, You know what I mean? Like the the pinnacle of it. Um, I thought about like um, bands like Mass Control and Resist and Defiance. Um, and Deprived, and all of these records that as a kid I would order, and they all came from the same address. I think it was like 1985 West Burnside. If that's exact, that shows you that I'm insane. (laughs) You know what I mean? Because I haven't looked at those records since I was 15. (laughs) But like, they were all coming out of the same place, and when Neil from Tribal War, which was like the big New York traveling label distro that showed up at shows where I grew up, he moved out here, and it was just like, those are what are inspirational to me. Like, like Portland is so punk rock, and I that's what I identify with. Like, the whole wave of Portland associating post-punk and darker sounds, like, I don't experience that and see that till like, 2010. Personally, 2011, you know? Um, what this place means to me is different. You know what I'm saying? Like, and yeah, those, that's what inspires us. Like, that's the shit that inspires us with those
0: records still. I saw recently you were... Uh maybe making some posts about the some of the billboard success that has come about recently. And just this kind of this thank you to, to Dave who produced the record of like helping you guys make the record that you always wanted to make.
2: Yeah. Dave, Dave Trumfio, Dave Trumpio, we met on a, on like a little four day tour supporting a band that he was guesting in. And he's like, I've got a studio. You should check it out. I love your band and we were like alright sure weirdo <laughs> you know I just like like everyone's got a studio you know and uh <laughs> it was just such a dumb thing like for us to write it off and then when we did Savior Ben Greenberg who did it was like y'all come out to LA we can do it in LA and we were like sick cause we are all living in LA at the time for like a hot second and uh We were like, what studio should we use? And we were like, we have no idea. And he goes, well, I found this one called King Size. And we went, oh, cool. Wait a second. That's that guy Dave's studio. We hit him up. He gave us a sick deal. We came in. We got to see him again. It was awkward because we were like, yeah, you... Said we should record with you, and we didn't. And like, <laughs> Now here we are. in using your studio, but like, sorry, this is our boy Ben, and he's like doing it, and he's hip, and Ben kills it. But after that, it was like, we finally, I just called Dave, and I was just like, let's just, we should do a record with you. You get it. You got a cool track record of bands that don't sound like us. Let's try it out. And we did two songs with him, Cry Me, which ended up on the album, and Tinfoil Drip. Yeah. And... Neither of them got completely mixed until we did put Foil" Drip on the split with Betrayal of Guilt, and when we got that back, we went, oh my God, like holy fucking shit. This has never sounded like this. The drums have never sounded like this. The bass has never been this defined. This person gets it. it. It doesn't just sound retro and nostalgic, and it doesn't just sound cold and raw, like this is a full realized vision that somebody just coincidentally has the same like with the shit we couldn't think about and realize he was able to and it was like he was speaking for us which is what a producer should be you know um so we we're like yeah we'll do the record with him and it was just i mean we just we did like 13 or 14 days of tracking which is a, a pretty insane amount of time and it was so emotional and fucking crazy and raw and I was like I was we had spent so much money that I was starting to lose my mind I like blew up on Dave one day still sorry about that I was like
0: I don't know this is gonna work
1: (laughs) you know what I mean like
2: this fucking thing and but he like having been doing this his whole life since the 80s like doubt that's the first time he's seen a band like at their wits end with things that are gonna work out (laughs) and you know when we got this record back it was just like What's so crazy about it is I'm just I still can go to every single place that inspires the lyrics and the music to those songs like his mix transports me to those exact moments and it transports me to the moments that Nicole's talking about because she and I collaborated on at least four or five of the songs lyrically, you know, we would like, yeah, I would take uh, stories that she wrote and turn them into lyrics or just take specific lines out and then add my stuff, um, certain songs, like the first verse is about her experience and the second verse is about mine and they're parallel and they're the same experience, but they're just different times with different people, uh, cause, cause you know, drug addiction and that lifestyle is so one dimensional. We all have the same shit show. Um, and just being able to go to those places, it was, it's super emotional. I listened to, like, a couple of the songs the other day. There's a couple of them that, like, I cry every time I hear them. And I'm just like, fuck, dude. Fuck you, Dave. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know what I mean? Like,
0: you motherfucker. Do you feel like he, as far as being in the studio with him, that he pushed the you guys in a different way that you had never been pushed? Or was it just like techniques he was and creating relentless. an environment that was his
2: mix is what is like he's so he's a master of that
0: yeah dude like it sounds so fucking good
2: yeah he makes it he makes it sound crazy but what he did with us was is that the right guitar sound and a lot of times i'd be like dave each guitar amp change costs a hundred dollars time-wise <laughs> this is the one but he'd just be like you sure that's the one and uh between him, like environment-wise, we did the first ch- the first five days at king size. His neighbor that they sh- he shares like, I forget the name of, of the, that studio, but Rob Schnaff, who did the Elliott Smith records, like some of those and Heat Miser. Yeah. So we met him and has done did the new X record, incredible producer. That guy would come over and stick his head in and be like, "What are you doing?" And we'd be like, uh, trying to find a guitar sound. And he'd come back with like a 61 Brownface Deluxe. You know, he'd come with these amps, and and we had somebody bringing over these other things that inspired sounds and moments, and we got a lot done in those first five days. But when we moved to Dave's house, it was just about like being relentless to find every possible thing that we could do, guitar sound-wise, and even layering other stuff for options so that even if it didn't get used it was there and yeah. and, it, and they were exhausting like we would leave a 10-hour day and be fucking absolutely brain dead like go back to conrad's house and i would collapse on the couch and be dead and then wake up the next day eat a breakfast and go in again and we were getting to the point of doing like one song a day just finishing it um and then leaving with this rough mix to hear, and I think when we left, like the first rough mix we had of a finalized song, Roses All Around, we were just like, oh my God, like we made the fucking best decision of our entire lives, because this is gonna raise the bar for us. Um, It was just bonkers. like it's your music and, and you and it feels you this your accomplishment and i'm like this is our fucking shit but i'm also like i feel so small within it too because we never could have made it sound
0: that way without him you know what i mean but you got yourself to this point <laughs> it doesn't unfold without you doing the work to, right like, but you know what i'm gain, saying right just, yeah I, I hear you i mean obviously you know not to say that you're not proud of the the releases prior to this record but like when you put this record on for the first time and you're hearing those mixes for the first time, is that kind of like this moment where you're like, this is what I heard in my head when I thought like what soft kill could sound like? Absolutely. I
2: mean, it was like at this point, like each of the records to me sounds exactly the way that it, I'm able to get to this point and part of it is through this one being the way that it is where I'm able to go, each record is exactly what it should have been. There was a long period where I didn't feel that way, you know, and I would reimagine things through the filter of things that I did think sounded right, that we did accomplish. Like, to me, an open door uh, sounds perfect, like, as it is. Like, I'm like, there it is. The other ones, I went back and forth between, like, loving and hating. Um, And without going deeply into the... what I would nitpick about specific albums... I got to this point with things where like like you know Savior of the Last Record what I realized about it is it is such an uncompromising thing sonically and emotionally and it's such a tortured album and it's about the darkest most fucked up shit but it's I'm presently in it when we're doing it and it's like that to me I go wow I can't listen to this record because I'm absolutely it takes me to like just immense darkness, nothing definitive. I'm not like, oh, that takes me to this exact moment. It's just this blanket of pain and suffering from a very long period of my life. Um, and what's so strange is like to watch my kid die, come back, and sit in the hospital, and for it to inspire a bunch of songs that outside of Bunny Room and Savior are not really about him. They're about navigating all of the stuff that I'm reflecting on because of this new low in terms of sadness and and rawness of watching that. Like that's the greatest gift my son gave me. Like he said, you need to really examine your dysfunction
0: time to do some reflection you know what I mean? on <laughs> the foundation fuck that's heavy
2: yeah and it's like so when i go i can't go back to that because like i said it's like dead kids i can go to that exact moment you know i i can go back to being in a room with maddie rue rest in peace when it says like we're planning we're both we're planning i don't want to misquote let me grab the lp this <laughs> is important you know yeah absolutely I'm so proud of these lyrics, this entire record. But sitting in my room watching both our endings planned, that like, I can, I can go right back there. You know, I know the exact, that was on Washburn and Lombard, the corner house. think that that band The Shivas lived there after that or something, or like they would do house shows. Um, but yeah, the, the, the concept of standing in a room with somebody and we're both, both still buried in the use of drugs. Um, the one dimensional existence of that. We're getting ready to go to a show. We're still, it's, but there, it doesn't matter. It could, we could be going to do anything. All that's really definitive about it is that shared suffering. You know what I mean? That those types of things, like I can go to that moment. I can go to all these. I could probably read any line in here that I wrote and be like, there's that. Just super transcendent. I am. Exactly. Whereas like Savior, like there's no street corner from any of those songs.
0: It's just like, fucking there's a lot of hospital walls.
2: it's not even just hospital walls it's just like just fucking what's crazy if you've never like been addicted to heroin or meth or crack is that you're in a box mentally like you don't even see the surroundings and you don't see the view you know for your the, the entirety of that you have beautiful moments you have tragic moments I'm not taking away the life experience but like you ignore everything you're just staring into a needle or into a pipe and you are and that's the that's definitive of your existence you know so that's why like when people are like oh he's a junkie like he did this to himself and this cuz I, be, I believe that disease, this is a disease of addiction wholeheartedly but in the use of these things i'm going like i the reason i have empathy and that i always believe people can change is that there's Having just that hyper focus on this, no matter what it is, on this one dimensional little thing is not human existence, right? Like, that's yeah, there's life is supposed to be so much more varied. People go on hikes, they look at trees and (laughs) shit. So, if you can imagine being able to ignore all of that and just be hyper focused on this one thing that subsequently is destroying you, that's not somebody living and making decisions for themselves. Um, that's somebody buried in something completely yeah, different. Yeah, there's a different power over you at that at Absolutely. that point. Man. Um, but Dave, the king, and we were able to talk to him about all of this stuff. Just like what each song was about. There's a lot of tears. I felt that he felt it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, we mean,
0: were I feel like that's got to be an important part of that process is like when you are making such heavy handed content like there's so much memory and like these tunes that the, everybody on the project working on it understands the depth of it to a certain degree and especially the guy who is fucking creating the soundscape
2: 100% and it, and it was it was another thing like we were employing somebody to be the to be the the, the extra member to tell the story of a bunch of people because that's another thing about this record is Savior is about my experience Whereas regardless of what's spoken first person in the, on Dead Kids, there's maybe on I Needed the Pain in the second verse of Oil Burner. Those are the only times I'm talking about like my life. And I'm present in the other lyrics and I'm there for those things, but we're talking about people that y- that none of you guys are new or if you did you're not thinking of them on the level that felt sufficient enough for us to not scream their names you know what I mean yeah. we are like 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 Matty Rue is remembered for his worst uh specific people are just remembered for their lowest points and for a long time I've and still to this day I'm defined in specific people's eyes for like my worst mistakes right that's just life that's not what this record is supposed to be about. This record is supposed to be about acknowledging the beauty, even in the darkest moments, of people who are just getting started and leaving what I consider to be like gifts for people like me to be inspired by, to grow from, to learn from, you know what I mean? Like, these the artists in here a lot of them were artists you know that died but like a, these people were like it was like the rawest most intimate and beautiful moments moments i couldn't have shared in intimacy like nicole's probably the first person in my life i've been able to be that close to because she knows that same bottom you know what i'm saying yeah. um that's really what it's about it's just about like it was like going to Dave, somebody that doesn't have that same direct experience, and being like, "Hey, we're talking about some really fucked up shit, but we're celebrating the people that are buried in it." Yeah. You know, like it's a weird, <clears throat> it's a weird content, like weird premise to people that don't get that. You
0: know, for sure, building these folks up that some might deem as just being like junkies and fucking yeah, living these bullshit lifestyles. Yeah, yeah, I think that shit's hard to fucking wrap your head around I guess from like if you've never encountered any of that or if you've never gotten close with someone that has been heavily buried in addiction and and built some sort of substantial relationship with them you know
2: yeah and I and I and what's amazing about dead kids is like it's the first time I'm out of my own I'm out of my own I'm out of my own own death cycle (laughs) You know, like that Metallica lyric that's like my death cycle. What are the words? But <laughs> <laughs> when he uh, fucking shit killed me, like my lifestyle the determines my, my death cycle.
3: <laughs> my yeah, death dude.
2: style or whatever. <laughs> fucking same. Oh, my God. OK. <laughs> but no. Real shit. That was me. Um, no, it's the first time that I was able to like. Not just fucking like selfishly. I need to fucking
3: tell you how I feel.
2: You know, it was more like just being able to be like to have a cathartic release because it's it's it would be incorrect for me to pretend that this that this didn't help me. You know what I mean? But I'm like the survivor's guilt thing that that I've touched on a bunch that people are probably tired of fucking hearing about. Just like that whole like. How I'm sitting here and I'm forced to process the loss of people that I care so much about and have to do so alone. And I also have to try to grasp why I made it through and they didn't, you know? Because, like, I, I spent, you know, over 15 years buried.
0: Could have been you at any point.
2: And doing real fucked up shit. Yeah. So I don't have a lot of self-esteem and a lot of like self-worth uh naturally so it's like you know I'm not sitting there being like well I'm here because I've got this message that I've got (laughs) to fucking put out there you know what I mean (laughs) I'm like no I'm just like fuck dude why me that sucks um and this was closure like and it's not really closure because like I said like specific songs they leave it that raw but like what I get from that is I get to go, oh, Dave, you captured this in a manner that leaves me raw every time I hear it, which means we did what we were supp- we were trying to do.
0: I think, it, yeah, that's a great way to sum it up. Like, it does leave you with that feeling, like, through every listen. But the flip side of it is there's, like, there's a lot of up-tempo, like, bangers on the record, Absolutely. too, which is really dope. And it's funny because last time we talked – uh we talked about how the importance of balance on a record and not filling a record with a bunch of bangers. And right. uh, I don't know, man, it seems like you put a bunch of a, like, there's a bunch of bangers. on this record. <laughs> Yo, in, Every, the, in the and that's like, like on the compliment side in the best of ways. No, I what think, was, that like, was,
2: what was cool about that is like, we were talking to, we were talking to everybody, you know, Dave ourselves. We were like, yo, what are the singles? Cause we could just maybe spin a wheel you know what i mean like you you really could have been any of them to us Um, even i needed the pain we were like that could be a single um but no yeah that was it like fucking this this city birthed so much of this record like it birthed all of this record um my favorite song on the record for the longest time was inverness And I wrote that song, if you go to the park that is, is it Everett Park? It's the one in Northwest that everybody used to shoot dope in the bathroom there and then lay on the fucking hill. But it's like a block from 21st. It's got the school right there. Um, There is one of those xylophones that kids can play in the playground. And I played this melody, and I went, oh, this is something. And I filmed it, and that's that. That little synth, like, it sounds like a little synth pad kind of thing. Exactly, that little, like. I was going to ask you about that. And even, I was playing the bass line with my left hand, and I was playing the lead with the right hand, and that went home and was that song. So Portland, like it was birthed out of these places that Nicole used to s- to slam dope in those bathrooms. You'd go in those bathrooms before they shut them down, and there's black tar heroin splattered on the ceiling from people like clearing their rigs out and shit. And there was just like, to us, we were like, "Fuck," you know. Like we're not trying to be the nostalgic '80s band, but we were inspired by soundtracks that had variation and diversity, yeah. and having that flow. Like, Roses is the opening credits, Wanting big War. Big, fucking, o- fucking triumphant <laughs> opening. <laughs> exactly, and then Wanting War like, brings the intensity up, and Matty Rue is just like, you could walk into prom to that, and you know, we tried to just have this variation, and the record changed, it was a different track listing like a week before we went in, and then Oil Burner, Inferness, and Ducky all got thrown into the mix and rounded out the later half of the record and then i needed the pain was a completely different song until i was at old Town music and tried finger picking it on a baritone acoustic and then we were like that's the closer now it's some stripped down pussy ass folk shit instead of it was a full band song
0: um that that yeah dude the
2: the shaping of it was it was constant and it was just like and we went back, we were like, dude, some of the BPMs on this is like a 170, a 160, you know, and they're yeah. pop songs. They're like wholeheartedly, they're, I think a lot of that shit, like Wanting War is a punk song, Pretty Face is a punk
0: song. Absolutely. Uh, These
2: are as much like stiff little fingers and like early wire as they are The Fucking Cure.
0: I love that part on Inverness towards the end where everything like kind of drops out and then it just comes back, comes alive again at the end. It's such a cool moment.
2: I love that riff, and I love, we left the lyrics out on that, so no one will ever know what the words are to that part. It was a weird thing too, like I typed up all the lyrics and then we went, oh, we forgot that part. And I was like, fuck it, let's have some mystery. But that variation is different, like I write a lot of shit that's very like, verse without lyrics, verse with lyrics, chorus, verse without lyrics, you know what I mean? And it just goes in these things, double the chorus the second
0: time. The space is, it's, I don't know. I like the instrumental breaks and having that space to like digest that shit too. too. And yeah, man, I like some of the chances that we I feel like th- that we're taking on the record. Even on Inverness with that, that little melody you were talking about. That could totally be perceived as cheesy as fuck.
2: Oh, absolutely. We were like, yo, this is like some postal service shit. Yep. Like on a good day, it's the cars. On the bad day, it's the postal service. But also
0: like, Even like wanting war though, with the claps and shit. When I heard that, I was like, dude, I was like, what the fuck? And then I was like, this is like being, I don't know. There's just like, sometimes you just go for the, the shit that might be cheesy and it's the right amount of cheese.
2: Right. I mean, if the lyrics and the vocal, like, and that's another thing I had to accept a long time ago is like, I'm the singer of soft kill. My voice has its limitations. It's where it's at. If the lyrics are important and relevant and serious and my vocal is where it's supposed to be, we can do whatever we want musically. Yeah. We can try a million different fucking things, you know, get goofy, get dark, get sad, like... Um, And we tried different stuff lyrically, like even just the high, like with tinfoil drip going into the like
3: the
2: fucking kind of prettier. And people were like, dude, who's singing that song? You know, that type of bullshit. Just doing things and like finding more comfort that soft kill is what we think soft kill is and not like whatever fans like, hey, the new record's cool. My favorite album is Choke. (laughs) So, like, when you comment that, you look like a fucking clown every time. Like, that's great that that's your favorite album. I don't give a fuck. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, don't get me started on any of the old records. I will go and ruin them for you. <laughs> um, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, n- no, it's about sure. our growth. We've never given people what they've wanted, which is why I feel, why I feel good about when we do accomplish things. Because I'm like... We never have just been like, this is, people really want the fucking, have you heard this record, Pornography by The Cure? Yeah. And like, again, it's, I'm stoked. Everybody who cares about this, I fucking love that you care. I, I, I respect it and fucking, you know, it's, it's so important to me, but I'm also like, the one dimensional approach to like, how people perceive what inspires us is maddening.
0: Well, and it's like also just like quit expecting like what you want to be right. the next record because it's not going to
2: be. I, and I just hope that some of these guys that especially that come on like because it's always some guy and he's just always like, hey, I really like it. What I heard in this was this and this. Would you happen to be somebody that listens to stuff? I'm like, dude, I hope you don't like go on dates and talk to people like this. You know what I'm saying? Like there's no you're, you're just like begging for the validation that you're right and what your perception is of what we're doing. And even if you are right, I'm never going to give you that cookie. I'm going to be like, no, this record was completely inspired by in excess. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Like, there it is for you. And I love that band, but I'm saying like, you're not going to get it. Like, just like, just enjoy it. And, And what you love is great. And go talk in like your fucking Facebook private group about that stuff. But like, you don't need to, like my existence and Conrad's existence and like why we're here is not to sit there and be like for you to return in the book report about what you think inspired us. That's a <laughs> no so weird way to that. enjoy music, you know?
0: Yeah. I think that's uh, sometimes what's fun maybe for me listening to your music is like I don't really have even a whole lot of reference for a lot of the shit that people might put upon you. Absolutely. Which is, and I love your band. I just like the other stuff is maybe just like some stuff I'll listen to casually, but it's not like really in my rotation, you know? Right.
2: And, it's, and I think it was when like we started getting attention from people that do stuff like you do that have the varied musical taste that people like you have, that we felt validation. Cause we were like, Oh cool. We're being embraced by a wide variety of people.
0: Yeah, and I think I could, like, I would just put this record on for anyone. Like, no matter what their musical taste is, I would be like, yeah. And we made it for everybody.
2: (laughs) You know, like, we made it for ourselves. It's for consumption by everybody. You do not have to own a black leather jacket (laughs) and smoke clubs to listen to Soft Kill, (laughs) regardless
0: of what anyone told you in a dark alley. Uh, I like the, on Floodgate. That line, "This God has grown tired of loving me," yeah, is one that sticks with me. Listening back to the record,
2: and that's just that's just about drugs. It's about feeling. I realized initially when I wrote that I was like, "That's me saying that I feel alone," and that because this, re- this I touch a lot through losing people. First of all, backtrack. I have a cross tattooed on my face. I have that cross because. My cousin, Christopher Combs, passed away from drugs. I loved him, and I got something that was, in a lot of people's eyes, incredibly obvious of how you, like, honor something. It was something kind of stereotypical and religious, even though I don't identify as somebody that believes in a god, per se. I got that in my face, but a lot of I've had people come up to me like, You're the only person I know that I like really respect that, like, is a God guy. And I'm like, (laughs) I don't know that I'm a God guy. I know that I haven't made up my mind in terms of like what is definitively existing. And I found that, especially through Narcotics Anonymous and through rehab and through recovery, that me personally. That I am constantly pondering possibilities of these things more so than ever. Saying, "Jesus Christ, right? I am not turned off by people that believe in God and that 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 uh, pray to Jesus and stuff like that." Like, I'm saying definitively that I have never made that choice. That I believe that these those things are real. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And I'm not saying I'm still undecided. I'm just saying that like the amount of of suffering that i've ex- experienced and that i've watched people go through that it sometimes has been really depressing to me to think that there's is no higher power or or even if it's nature, mother earth and nature right pulling strings and and that's created all of this it's just like It just feels like one big sick kind of fucked up experiment you know what i'm saying so that quote initially was me being like oh yeah there's like i'm being ignored by a god if there's a god but even deeper i was realizing that i was talking about that the drug is the god yeah you know heroin and and, uh and meth you know that these things like they like you get to this point where you don't get high anymore yeah um you hit that ceiling and you're just like oh
3: You've turned your back on
2: me, Crystal.
0: I think that's like the cool thing about a line like that is because like God can be so many different things to people, you know, like maybe even like reading that line as God being like the shadow self. And it's like even the shadow self is like giving up on me at this point. Right.
2: In the first line of that, it goes, this flood has taken things. And then there's silence because I want that to set in. Sink in. (laughs) Let that sink in. That like... This flood of, ad- of the life of addiction has taken everything. And then the God, all that's left, which is the drug, has, st- has stripped me even of the joy that that once gave me. And that's the darkest game. And a lot of the people that you see out there buried in the throes of addiction are another line past that. So when you see them, they're not in the flood. And that's what's so crazy. That's why I believe that it's a disease. Because I'm like, these are people that are far past it all. They're not getting high when they hit that vein anymore. You know what I mean? Like They're in a different fucking place. And they're accepting, they are at such a low and at such a bottom that they are accepting the lackluster existence of suffering through obsessive use. You know what I mean? That's, my, that's one of my favorite lines on the record for sure.
0: That's one of my favorite tracks on the record.
2: That one came out great. Tamron killed that song. Um, it's weird to give somebody lyrics and be like, sing this fucking song. Her voice is so powerful and goes to places that I could never go that I feel like she added a whole melodic harmonic structure to it that I was like, okay, yeah, fucking... Thanks for making this one good. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, um, in the same way that Adam does on Matty Rue. I'm just like, like, you know what I mean? Like, these people, what they do and what they bring to it makes up for the fact that I feel like I limited them by not allowing them to, like, create lyrics, both of which are strong suits for both of those
0: people. Um, Yeah. As far as collaborating on lyrics with Nicole, is that kind of the first time you've done that sort of thing
2: tin foil drip was the first release that we did that with uh nicole's lived uh the life of 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 a junkie when you are female is different the lows and and the bottom and and survival and navigating all of that and the things that you have to do are considerably different without saying anything specific uh those, that song is about, um, that song really, it's weird, I mean, I, listen, I think about these things and I'm just like, fuck dude, I can't believe we're giving out so much of ourselves, our emotions and our, our fucking like story. In the lyrics, because there's to me, it's so it's probably buried in metaphor to some people. To me, I'm just like it's like reading my diary. Um, that was the first one where we piggybacked and played off each other. She's talking in that song about this girl Alice, who's still out there, and uh, that's the lyrics of that are about. Them in the basement of this old punk house that used to be in Southwest called the Carruthers House. I never went there. A lot, everybody knows about it if you're from a specific era. And they're just like cracked out of their minds, um, rolling around in the basement in tin foil, uh, putting the carpet on top, rugs on top of each other for blankets. Um, it's so literal. It's not a metaphor. <laughs> you know what I mean? And she and Nicole has this incredible. Nicole's an incredible writer. Um. Translating her stuff into song form, has been really easy.
0: Yeah. Is that is that almost like become like a brand new writing tool to you? Absolutely. Almost?
2: And and piggybacking off each other, you know that that song. It's weird. So tinfoil. I would have to look at it. Um, I did write some of these words. Okay. But yeah, this thing, like, I love that line, we were making jewelry out of candles and paint, which they were, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) Um, She wrote the majority of this, and I translated this. This was not in song form. Um, It was the success of that, in term, and by success, I mean us going, wow, that came out great. That led to us doing this more often. And we did it a lot on Premium Drifter, which was the demos that didn't make it to be re recorded for Dead Kids. This Dead Kids existed for a long time. It had numerous album titles and it had numerous track listings. So when Premium Drifter came out, it was like, there's some collaborative lyrics on there quite a bit, but this was like, I love turning her stuff into songs. I love what it inspires in me lyrically too. Cause I have been very redundant in the past. Sometimes lyrics haven't meant anything to me. There's a lot of songs where I'm like, yeah. this ain't about shit.
0: Well, and you only have your mind to work off of. So no, like, my mind is fucked. I gotta imagine like just having someone else's thoughts to play off of or pretty great for and just inspiring ma- and, and stuff it, it's
2: inspiring because i'm just like oh you captured something i experienced perfectly because like i said our life we were we were junkies apart but, but there's the a lot same, of parallels constant parallels you know what i'm saying and uh i'm just like I mean when we first met i was like i had it worse i did more time than you <laughs> and then like now i'm just like oh i got off easy going to prison because you went through this, that, and the third. And her recovery and her coming to grips, dude, I have a, char- I have a charmed recovery because I got to come out of rehab and go onto a stage. And then I've got to see the uh, gifts of my effort bear fruit in the form of us doing better and better, um, like almost like clockwork. Uh, Nicole didn't have that. You know what I'm saying? Like Nicole got clean and navigated many years prior to us. She had like six years clean when she got with me. I'm not saying she hadn't accomplished anything, but this was the first time that she was able to just without any compromise do what what her vision was and to feel something. And that was help me get clean and help me be successful as a musician, but then also start with curation of merch designs, and then ultimately writing some synth parts, writing some bass lines on some stuff that people haven't heard yet, writing lyrics, being a member of the band. She's been in the band the whole time. We have this, like, one anime guy that I've never met, but he always talks shit about us on Twitter. <laughs> and he, like, made a comment about how, like, the stupid bitch pretends that she's in the band too which is there's a deeper like trapping to that and that's that it's just like an incredibly toxic sexist fucking reality that we're stuck in Um, but that's the thing is like Nicole's had been in the band for so long we wouldn't be a band at all in any way just zero
0: awareness of
2: zero awareness and she couldn't we would not even be here like Conrad behind my back I'm sure all the times goes up to her and is just like thank you (laughs) To her, you know what I mean, because she's the fucking reason that we do shit. You know, it's it's she's the fucking whole reason I'd be fucking <clears throat> without a shadow of a doubt dead as fuck right now, and you guys would be fucking either laughing or remembering for years. It would be like you'd be like, oh, second anniversary of that stupid cocksucker fucking dying, yeah. or this guy that we appreciated the art of, like it's that real, you know?
0: Yeah. Like essentially the band doesn't exist without her. And so that's really dope. Then I feel like there's even more meaning to letting her have a voice on the record somehow, you know, even if it's through your, without a doubt, your words. And, you know,
2: like Maddie Rue is a prime example. Cause I'm like, I write the verses, she writes the chorus and they intersect so perfectly and beautifully. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, it's, and it's just shared experience, and she'd never met Matty Rue. But she has, theoretically, because she's met a million people like him. Um, she brought her own baggage and people to the table, and I brought mine. And we got to reflect on who these people were together and then connect with people that knew them that we didn't know at the time. It was, it was the most cathartic... Like tearing off a billion band-aids and just letting yourself bleed out to recover, to actually let those scars heal. It's fucking crazy. Um so of course she gets a voice in the band. And also, like she makes this joke like when she started dating me, she was like, just give me access to the soft kill email. And I was like, I don't know about that. And she's (laughs) like, Why don't you want me to go in there? And she goes in, and it was just like unanswered interview requests, festival offers, European tours that had been piling up for years. Like, people being like, just listen, respond. We are trying to fly you to Germany to play. And I was just like, I didn't didn't know if it was serious. And she's just like, you didn't even read it. There's no fucking response. You haven't even read it. It's an unread email. So, like, come on, dude. None of y'all would even know who the fuck this band was if it wasn't for her. She's in the fucking band. Final answer.
0: <laughs> and you played all the bass on this record.
2: I played the bass on every song except "Wanting War." That fucking incredible verse bassline, that doo 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 doo. That was written by Owen, who's not in the band anymore. Um, Owen has been like my best friend for many years. We, w- we will spend years apart, click back in. Uh, Owen was there through all of my ups and downs with addiction. Owen took the brunt of a lot of my my fucking uh, coming to grips with my shit. It was really hard on our friendship. Um, You know, I'm not saying that nobody else was like spared, but like Owen being somebody I'm so intimately close with that I've been through so much with, like I was not good to him. because he, he was expendable, because he was so there, and he had seen so much of, like, I couldn't put a front on to him. You know what I'm saying? Um, but at the same time, like, for us, for our friendship, to be able to heal and to strive, and for us to be what's more important than anything, which is, is friends, we couldn't be in a band together anymore. but So this was the last record that he was part of, um, he still lives in Portland. I see him fairly regularly. I love him with all my heart. He's incredible, and he's like was the hardest working member of this band, um, in terms of physical labor, preparing the back backing tracks. Did more driving hours than anybody. Worked more merch, more merch. The workhorse. Shows. He's the workhorse. He's a fucking. He's the hardest working motherfucker you'll ever meet. He's an alien of another planet, and his ideas and his approach musically is, are so unique, which is why writing with him has is, is always bore really cool results. Um, so he did that. There's your convoluted, crazy answer, but he did that
0: one. He played bass on Ducky. I love Ducky, man. Like, especially the, that part at the end where everything drops out and it's just the bass right and and you feel like maybe it's going to come back but you don't really you don't it you doesn't. don't know if you're not paying attention to how much time is left in the actual track
3: Done today shot outside the frame and love the taste
2: and you know what was crazy like and i fucking it's weird to admit these things so i wrote duck i wrote the base the baselines that, that owen wrote are really just the verse of wanting more and he wrote the guitar part that Conrad's playing on Pretty Face, which is w- probably one of the best guitar lines on the fucking record, though. down, 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 He's just fucking like absolute goat. Um, he's written to me the most interesting and best parts on every single record. It's, he's, he's so unique. Um, I wrote Ducky in the way, the choppiness of it at the end. I remember like, I convinced myself that this was like, you know, because Owen and I are at odds at this point. I was just like, just can't even play the fucking part right. And then I got to go back to it at the end, and I'm like, no, it's perfect. It's exactly how it was supposed to be. I'm a fucking asshole, (laughs) you know, because we were just at that point where it was unresolved and we needed to talk and be like, you know, like the band is not the most important thing here. Like (laughs) friendship is fucking important, you know. Um, And he played the bass on oil. He played the bass on Oil Burner, and he played piano on I Needed the Pain. Right. Yeah. So that piano part originally was a... I want to say it was a guitar part or a piano part on the demo. I can't remember what I played it on. And then he translated it just to a very simplistic piano part.
0: That that keys part, the way it complements everything. Just the, the choices, like where the notes lie. exactly and he was like he's like i played one chord over
2: and over again and i was like no it's perfect you know it sounds great (laughs) um yeah yeah it was weird you know it's it's to me it's so bittersweet because like this record was a triumph for us because we went through a lot we had like a lot of shit behind the scenes and we had uh we went through a lot with just like 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 I said, that the, the one Twitter hater and like his little camp and just specific people that had decided that every single thing about us was like unimportant and shouldn't exist and on and on. And I think we like we just dealt with uh, a lot of fatigue from just touring so much, doing a couple tours that were that were great for the band but were not fun when we were doing them. Um, touring six to eight months of the year, putting out this record, and it was like Owen's involvement in it was limited to this the first five days. And so it's transitional to somebody on the outside, you look at it and you go, oh yeah, this is his transition out, and it's beautiful and it makes sense. And to me, like looking back on it now that I have like a lot of closure with Owen and, we're able to be close again. I'm just like, to me, it's very bittersweet. Like yeah. I, and I, and it makes me reflect a lot on like changes that I need to make in terms of, or that I've needed to make and have started to make, uh, in friendships that I have, you know? Cause it's like when you're fucking twacked out and like insane, like you're a liability in almost every friendship that you're a part of, they're just like, I really like them. I hope that like, the house doesn't burn down, literally or figuratively, you know what I mean? Right. Um, so that type of shit, you know? But I play bass on the rest of it and I, I love playing bass. It's cool. Um, the uh, This guy, Sean Durkin from Weekend, who's our new bass player now, um, we're gonna write the next record with him, Conrad and I, and uh, you know, he's, He's a phenomenal bass player. He's in no way limited contribution-wise to bass. Like, anybody can write whatever. That's a, an important thing about soft kills. We all, anybody can play whatever instrument the fuck they want to play or write things on. And we go into the studio and you don't just have a specific role, right? Um, Ryan, who, who plays guitar, we're a five piece now live. Um, you know, the ideas that he'll bring to the table when we're able to find time to write with him too. Like. You know Danny the, like who plays drums, like everybody's just like dialed and really perfect for this um, and you know it was just kind of circumstantial that I ended up playing bass on Dead Kids the most, but it's also like to me the instrument that I am most stoked on, and that I feel mix wise has been underrepresented in previous albums
0: yeah i I think that's that's something I take away listening to this record is you can really hear bass the bass down. driving you know and that's that's has a uh, punk rock edge to it a lot of the times i feel like because that's how of i that. play
2: bass down picked dig in hell yeah that bass is a uh, i want to say it's a late 60s early 70s p bass it's it was also rob Schnaff's, and it has it was this. if you care about basses and instruments it was routed for a second p bass pickup right by the bridge so that's two of, the, of what I think is the best sounding bass pickup, but multiplied in different places and both of those are all the way up. And that's the best bass tone we've had on a record, hands down. And it's so important, you know, not everything just has to be an Ampeg flip top, which every studio is like, there it is, there's your tone. You know, I think we played through like a Gallon Kruger, like a GK <laughs> 80s head, you know. Uh, but also too, Dave just, Dave's got an old knee, and it's... Dude, I mean, who knows what the fuck was really going on. <laughs>
0: you know what I mean? Oh, my God, dude. Uh, I Needed the Pain. You think that's, like, the rawest track in the catalog, or is it perceived that way? Maybe just because it's, like, the stripped-down tune. It's, it's definitely...
2: It's definitely the rawest. To me, the rawest two songs lyrically ever, if I really wanted to go and hurt myself are missing from savior, because I'm so, I'm out of my mind high on meth, and I'm fucking suffering so badly, and I am talking. When I say, I fell in broken glass today, I'm, it's a fucking very thin metaphor, you know what I mean? Um, I needed the pain I wrote those lyrics on a plane flight to L.A. without music and I just wrote the entirety of it. Nothing changed. Um, And I had them over a very happy-go-lucky sounding song that when played on a baritone acoustic brings it to a lower key, a different key. Um, And I had this vision. Nicole wanted it the way that it was and I was just like, listen, it cannot be that way. It sounds just like too like... Coachella. (laughs) I have a a vision, you know? And then when I played it on a baritone acoustic, I was just like, this is it. I sang sang her one line at the store. We bought the guitar. It's only ever been used for that one fucking thing. Sitting in a case. Um, That song is, I mean, it's so, it's the perfect closer for the record. It's so obvious. Every line, is a metaphor that should translate pretty clearly to anybody that can relate. Um, You know, um, can you trust your mouth to know that it's bleach that we've been drinking because we're running out? You know, it's fucking like, I'm smiling, not because I'm so fucking impressed. (laughs) I'm just like, God, dude. Like, And I also get mad because I'm like, why can't I write lyrics like that all the time? You know, (laughs) like, there it is. So so stripped down. Did it within three takes. I fucking wept so hard afterwards and cried to Conrad just about how fucking stupid and embarrassed I feel about my, about my life and about everyone that I've lost and how I'm in no way, shape, or form any close to any sort of closure with all of it. And embarrassment of like going through doing this band and having people congratulate the triumphant survival of addiction when years of that were, I was still buried in it and relapsing constantly. Just the fucking sh- it fe- it feeling like a sham, you know? And uh, I don't never, I don't think it can be topped. It's, it's weird, somebody put it in their stories the other day When people put Ducky or I Needed the Pain in their Instagram stories, I get the most stoked because those are my two favorite songs, but also like the songs that tear me up are Maddie Rue, Ducky, Inverness, and I Needed the Pain.
0: You just name like, half the songs on the record. So that's a good, right. that's a good but thing. lyrically, and Pretty
2: Face does too, but Pretty Face was the first song written for the record. Yeah. And it's, it's the catalyst for the entire concept because it's about somebody very specific. Zachary DeLong, rest in peace. You know what I mean? But those ones, like, and I've, I've been able to get some closure from it, even though the next time I sing it live, it's going to kill me. But I needed the paint. Yeah, these are just, like... I was so scared to put that on a record. Just like, what is this Bon Iver <laughs> bullshit?
0: I don't know, man. I bet there's a lot of people who are super stoked that you made the decision to. I'd love to do a whole record like that, you know. I think it was also just such a, such a surprise to like get to the end of this record and there's this stripped-down acoustic track, something that's kind of like never been done on a soft-kill record.
2: Right, and it was what was interesting is in that last week. So Conrad brings the guitars and the drums and pieces of oil burner, and I wrote. I started like I. The first thing I did is I like started writing a bass line to give it some movement and to <laughs> connect it together. Right, and then I started laying it out and I was like, dude, it's eight and a half, nine minutes long. Wait, what are we doing? And, uh, I was like, fuck, this is clearly the ending song on the record. Right. And when we went into the studio and we were fucking doing the layers on that song, there's so many layers on that song to create that, that like molten lava heavy part, um, that we were just like, there's just this, there's, it's like an overindulgent wall of distortion and release, right, people are going to hear that and naturally be like, this is the last song in the record. The ending of that song, you're just like, as the words start to crumble and fall out as they're repeated, and you're like, this is the end of the fucking record, and then all of a sudden you get, there's. if you start to listen to I Needed the Pain, within the first, like, 20 seconds before I'm about to sing, you hear me go... (sighs) Which is the, it's like, emotionally, like, it's me at my most raw and torn. And I'm like, this is the opposite. It fits perfectly, and it sounds like it's the same band, but it's like, such a different, and that's what's so great about Dave. And mind you, we laid out the tracklist thing ourselves. Like, this is, like, this is the 10 songs, and this is the order that I wanted them to be in. But, like, Dave's production of it flows in this manner. Where nothing ever sonically feels redundant, and that's probably the most brilliant part of it, aside from the mix of his contribution. You know, um, fucking kills me. That song kills me.
0: It's heavy, man. <laughs> it's fucking crazy. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's it's uh it's it's yeah, definitely one of those like I think just undeniable songs for sure. And, yeah,
2: and I hope people read those lyrics, and I hope that people find, like, I hope they find their own truths within those songs, you know? It's not, they're definitively about things to me, but, like, like everything that's always been up for perception, open to perception, other people's perception. But there's this, like, I'm sorry to keep being the lyric guy.
0: No, please do. this
2: part in it where it says, uh, and the, the way that I sing it, I don't think you hear the full words, but it says, they begged for truth they weren't able to trust, like demanding they be hurt. And that was like a big part of addiction, like was just being like wanting to face things that you knew you couldn't handle. You know what I'm saying? Like, tell me the truth, metaphorically, that, that you would never believe. You, could never, you couldn't exist longer in life and survive if you did believe those things because you would be living a complete and total fucking lie. Um, Watch animals scream as they're pulled apart by something higher up in the chain. Tried to save them all. They got lifted up to a heaven, put an end to the fall. So that, like, cuts me just to read it. But that's how I felt. There's survivor's guilt. Like, here I am feeling like I'm watching my fucking friends die. You know what I'm saying? And I'm trying to except the stereotypical like they're in a better place now like that gives me some sort of peace but it doesn't and if it did the record wouldn't exist you know
0: fucking a man
2: it's crazy
0: well that's the track i definitely want to play play the episode out with is i needed the pain yeah so i feel like that's the move and uh i'll put all the links in the episode notes People should come check out this fucking store. Yeah, 5916
2: 5916 North Greeley Avenue, North or nothing, North Portland, um, right up from the Adidas campus. Um, we're here. We'll be here at least six months. If it fails, we'll pretend it was a pop up. <laughs> you know but uh we've got limited shit you won't get anywhere else if you're an artist locally and you're creating something that's relevant to you and it's fucking sick bring it by we want to see it um plenty of shit in here shout out you thank you for always like um caring about the real shit you know
0: yeah man I mean I just connect to it heavy um yeah like I can't I can't listen to a fucking like record like this and like nothing about my boy that like passed away from right addiction, you know, and from heroin overdose. And like, it's just, uh, yeah, it's the, it's a, it's an unfortunate parallel I have with you, I guess, of like understanding some degree of what that loss is like. And just like knowing a dude who is like known for being the nicest, sweetest, greatest dude but also having, you know, this flip side of a life that was hard for him to uncover himself from. And, and
2: that's the stigma. And, you know, shout out PDX Harm Reduction. Um, we're all about harm reduction, rig exchange, handing out meth pipes, all the shit that makes you fucking squares feel uncomfortable. Um, when you fucking shame addicts, you guys look like a bunch of fucking Trump-supporting cocksuckers. <laughs> but they wrote... Uh, People don't die from overdoses, though that cause may be listed on their death certificates. They die from trauma and pain. They die from stigma and the isolation and self-harm that follows. So people can be the nicest, most endearing, uh, seemingly empowered individuals and still be completely lost. It is not definitive of anybody's existence, no matter what becomes their end and uh that's just like i hope that people can see through the 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 i hate the word trauma i i know it's relevant and i'm not denying people their trauma i don't like to say it for myself because um, everything's been traumatic <laughs> but this record is about the beauty in people it, it's about uh it's not a double life yeah. it's it's definitive like the disease exists within you um building those people up it's like dying from cancer it really it really feels that way to me um i watched in closing the hardcore scene on twitter cry about people's expectance of narcan being available and carried by them in case of an overdose and lo and behold a bunch of fucking middle-class white kids were really offended that that would be expected of them um I just, like, I hope for compassion, and I hope for a future of understanding. I hope the war on drugs ends. We need to let everybody out. Uh, We need to let, especially a lot of the African American and Mexican American um, individuals that have been imprisoned for epically long sentences, you know, as a result of systematic racism and and the war on drugs being used to try to dismantle and destroy these people specifically, you know, but then also the big pharma thing. I love seeing these motherfuckers start to get smacked around a little bit and a couple billion dollars get taken away. But ultimately, I just hope that like. I hope that we can have more transparency and be able to talk about these things and that if you're struggling and going through shit, you can at least hit us up. Well, I I sleep about three hours a night. I've got a three-year-old. I'm not gonna be sleeping for years. So you can always contact us. There's so many resources out there. You don't just gotta go to N.A., but it's a great start. I want people to be able to have open dialogue about this stuff and about what they're going through. There's nothing to be ashamed about. And, uh, death is so final, you know,
0: that's the truth for sure, man. But re-
2: rest <laughs> in peace, everybody that this record Absolutely. is about for sure.
0: Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, man, I'll put all the links in the episode notes. Uh, I feel super fortunate that you give me an opportunity to, uh, get to know you over the, the last year and a half or so man like I feel I feel very fortunate that you and I crossed past that pickathon like even this is the third time I've hung out with you and there hasn't been many but I like I've really enjoyed our hangs and our chats so absolutely shout out Chicago
2: (laughs) you know my home that's my real home but you know without a doubt I've had fun with you and and I love talking to you about this stuff because um you know the, the the world that we exist in as a band is a lot of times an echo chamber of the same ideas. For sure. So it's it's cool to be around other people that just have a different perspective of art and music and appreciate what I think is sometimes like the deeper nature to like what we're trying to put out there. Um, so yeah, and we appreciate these. Are, this is this interview, the last one too, have been my favorite that that we've gotten to do.
0: Uh, likewise. So, likewise, dude. Like, yeah, did. That first one we did it stands top five, if not the top one. Just we got that number one spot. That number one spot on the Dan Cable Presents podcast, on the Dan Cable
2: Billboard charts,
0: baby. <laughs> uh, we end the episode every time with the guest saying this uh, this goofy tagline, which is "It's a program." So if we get the you know the soft kill, it's a program. <laughs> Dude, why
1: did you I, got I got that, forget that?
0: that? It, no, it's good. It, you this it got the, the bias, you know, from soft kill and this is a program we're gonna play it out with the last track off the record it's called i needed the pain it's available everywhere come by the shop check out the merch online all the links will be there and uh that's the jelly jams and we'll catch you on the flip side portland Mm -hmm.
3: We were stalling for the bus to take us.
1: We'd already
3: paid. Here's the coming clean. Won't lie to your face when it's playful. We're already. Can you trust your mouth To know That it's bleach We've been drinking Cause we're running out It's just mixed with the mud This holding Is down As we're sinking Small amount is true. A few of have love, keep haunting. Is something I never will. I'm a flirt Always brush me